and welcome to Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. We would love to have you join us for worship today. Our Bible studies begin at 9 a.m. for all ages, followed by a service at 10.30 a.m., and then our evening discipleship service at 6.30 p.m. We are located at 14260 South Dixie Highway in Monroe, Michigan. Our phone number is 734-241-6860. You can also find more on our website, www.mmbconline.org. Here is a message from our senior pastor, Tim Icoangeli. Have your Bibles, if you'd turn with me to the book of Ruth. We'll be back there again this morning. Ruth chapter 2, we've been going through Ruth now, it's our third week. We have a couple more after this. We'll be doing a chapter a week from here on out. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1 through uh, 23 is, is where we'll be. I would ask as a church if you'd pray for, uh, we had our men's wild game dinner last night. Uh, went well. Our leaders did a good job organizing it and planning it and everything. I thought it went pretty good. Uh, I had the privilege of being able to share uh, the gospel message with all the men uh, that were there. And no doubt there were men there who have no relationship with Christ uh, whatsoever. And I've had some of you ask, you know, well, did we have any decision? Anything like that happen? And we don't, we don't do anything like that at the men's wild game dinner. We don't make them raise their hand or stand if they've made a decision or, or fill out a card. Uh, but I would ask that you'd be praying that God would at least have planted a seed in the hearts of, of some of those men there. And who knows, maybe God did last night uh, save some souls, draw them to him. And, and that's a wonderful thing if God can do that just through some wild game, <laughs> just through eating together. Uh, but that's how our God works, doesn't he? He provides, he plans, he, he organizes, he does all of these things for us. And we see the fruit and the benefit of it. Uh, we, we see that as well in Ruth. As we've been going through the book of Ruth, we, we see God's hand uh, moving in the midst of this family that we've been focusing on, even in the midst of, of bad decisions. Uh, we saw in chapter one, there was a man, his name was Elimelech, and he made a bad decision to take his family to a foreign land, to a land that he was not supposed to go, to a land that scripture very clearly laid out for him, do not go here. But because there was famine in his homeland and there was food in this foreign land, he chose to meet his need himself, regardless of what God's word said, regardless of what God would say. And so Elimelech made a bad choice. As a result uh, of that bad choice, we see some things happen uh, in his life, in his family's life, uh, so much so that himself, uh, his two boys pass away, which leaves Naomi, who was Elimelech's wife, Orpah and Ruth, who are married to the boys. And so now Naomi was in a, a land, a foreign land on her own with just these two daughters along. We saw last week that she had made a decision to go home. She made a decision to go back to Bethlehem. She heard that food was back there, that God was blessing in this land. And so she decided to go back. She encouraged her daughter-in-laws to stay in Moab, to stay uh, with their families to go and marry somebody else because she said, I, I, I have no promises for you. I have, I have nothing that I can give you. And so one of her daughter-in-laws did just that, Orpah stayed, uh, but Ruth clung to her. And Ruth made a commitment not only to Naomi, her mother-in-law, but made a commitment to the Lord as well, we saw in chapter one. 
saying your God will be my God and, and went so far as to say your people are now my people. I, I will die in your land. I will be buried there. And this was her making her full-fledged commitment to the Lord, to the Lord. And so we looked at that last week together and, and we see, like I said, we begin to see God's hand and his sovereignty at work in this situation. Now, this is unknown to them. This is unknown to them, just like with us. As we live our life on a day-to-day basis, there's many times when we look around and we say, God, are you working at all? God, is there anything happening? What, what is going on? But then five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, we have the privilege of being able to look back and we say, huh, I see what God was doing there. I, I see how he was working. And so they don't have this going on in their life at this moment. They don't maybe understand how God is working, but because we get to see the whole story, we see God at work and we're gonna see more of that today. So turn with me to Ruth chapter two. I'm gonna read uh, all of this chapter. It says, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And now you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out 
what and gave to her and, and she had kept back after she'd been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabite said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young woman, women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. The way I want to uh, approach this passage this morning is I, I want to look at some of the characteristics of Ruth that we see very clearly in scripture so far, and also some characteristics of Boaz, and then see what we can really take away from this passage together uh, as a whole. And so when we, I want to take Ruth first and, and look at the type of woman Ruth is here. And when we look at verse two, the first thing that jumps out is we see that Ruth is willing to take some initiative in a very tough situation. Ruth wants to go out and she wants to get food, not only for herself, but she wants to get food for her mother-in-law as well. Uh, we don't see Naomi jumping at this. We don't see Naomi being the one to jump up and say, uh, I'm going to go out and glean. I'm going to go out and try to get what I can. No, we see, we see Ruth doing this for her mother-in-law. She's not laying around complaining. So she's not a teenager probably at this point. <clears throat> she's getting up and she's working. She's, she's moving. And this really had to take some courage on her behalf because you have to remember this is not her land. This is not her home. She is a foreigner in this place. And so she is going out, she doesn't know where, to try to find a field that she can find some food in so that she can take care of herself and also her mother-in-law. Had to be a tough situation. But she was willing to stand up and take some initiative and go forward. As we look at verse 7, verse 17, and also verse 18, another characteristic of Ruth jumps out to us that I think is important. It's a hard worker. We see how hard Ruth is willing to work. The Bible tells us here that Ruth worked hard all day long. Absolutely all day she worked. Boaz at one point goes to his servants, right? And he, he asks about her. And one of the things that what his servants tells him is that, man, she has worked all day. It said she did take a little rest in the house, but man, she has been faithfully working hard all day long. And this was not an easy job. This was not an easy task, getting heads of grain, picking the barley. And so she was in this field. And as we look at verse 17 and verse 18, the amount of food that she got, that, that epa of food, between 30 and 50 pounds, between 30 and 50 pounds of food that says she carried home. She carried that home. So after working all day in the field, after working hard all day long, she throws this up on her back and she, she carries it home. And now you might say, and this is kind of what, what I see as well, as well, she, she had to do this. The reason Ruth is working so hard at this moment is because if she doesn't, she dies. And, and maybe that's the case. Maybe, maybe, that is the, maybe that is the situation that we see here. 
But it's interesting that how circumstances all of a sudden can change how hard we work. I don't think that's the case, though, for Ruth. Looking at her character, looking at what type of person she is as we read the rest of Scripture and and see what other verses even talk about her, this was not her. Now, this is not the point of this message at all, but I think it is a good side note, and it's a truth of God's word. As Christians, we should be hard workers. As Christians, I, I dare say we should be the hardest workers in our place of employment. If you're, a, if you're a boss and you have employees under you, if you are a Christian, your employees under you should see that you are a hard worker and that you respect them and that you love them and that you appreciate them. Sadly, this isn't always the case for uh, us as Christians, but it needs to be because it's a witness of who we are. It's a witness to how we see our job. We understand that the work that God has given us is actually a blessing from the Lord. It's a blessing that we're able to work. It's a blessing that we're able to make money. And as a result, we praise and glorify God in our work. And one of the ways we do that is by working hard in it, by working hard in that work. And we see Ruth doing that here in this situation. She is working very hard. We also see, though, of Ruth in verse 7 and also of verse 10, we, we see her humility. We see that Ruth is a very humble woman. One of the things that Ruth did is she asked permission to glean. She asked permission to go into this field and to glean. And you, you might say, well, yeah, of course she did. Actually, according to the law, according to Israel's law, she, she did not have to do that. God had commanded landowners and people who owned fields to leave the edges of the field untouched when they did the harvest. And also, when they were picking the grain, when they were picking the harvest, if any fell to the side, God told them, do not pick it up. And there was a reason for that. The reason for that was God was looking out for orphans. God was looking out for widows. And God was looking out for the foreigners. God was looking out for those who had nothing. And so God had established this law with his people so that they could then go and get food from the field. Now, I don't know if you could imagine this being told of you today. If you were a farmer and me going to you and saying, hey, hey, don't, don't cut this row and don't cut this row and, and anything that's left behind, you just leave it for the strangers to come and take it. Now of the farmers that I know, that's not good farming practice. That is not a good farming practice. I mean, a farmer wants to shoot us off his field if we as hunters dare ask for one row of corn left up so that the deer will come out, Right? And so, but God says, no, we're not going to be stingy people. My kingdom is not a stingy kingdom. And my kingdom is a kingdom that cares for the foreigner, that cares for the hopeless, that cares for the lost. And so we are going to be giving. And the way that we're going to do that is we are going to provide food in this way. But yet still Ruth would go and ask permission to glean. And so this shows her humility. It shows that she was willing, again, to step out for her mother-in-law and for herself to do what needed to be done. We also see her humility when Boaz talks to her, right? And he tells her to glean his fields. And what is her response? She falls on her, she falls to her face. She falls to her face before, before Boaz, not understanding why this goodness is falling to her. She couldn't understand why this man would care for her. I, I'm a foreign woman. I, I don't deserve this. I am, I am absolutely 
nobody. I, I'm a nobody, Ruth is thinking. And so she just falls on her face before him in, in gratitude and in thankfulness. As I look at that, I think of a passage in Matthew chapter 15. It's in verse 21 through 28. I, I want to read it for you. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this is, this is a, a difficult verse, I think, for us as we read about Jesus telling this woman this. This woman is crying out to him, helpless and hopeless, for her daughter. And Jesus' response is, listen, I didn't come here for you. I came here for Israel. That's my job. Now, for us, that doesn't sound like the Jesus that we worship and the Jesus that we praise, but let's, let's read on. Verse 25 says, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's tough. That's tough to hear Jesus say something like that, isn't it? But then this is how she responds. It says, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You see, we have a, we have a picture of an Old Testament truth, this gleaning around the field, caring, caring for those who are considered worthless, but yet, but yet God providing for them. And that's what Jesus just did for this woman. He was making it very clear to everybody around him, this, this lady is worthless. She has no worth. But, but to me, but to God, she does have worth. And that's why her daughter was healed. She had faith and her daughter ended up being healed. And so we see this very important characteristic from our God, loving those who seem really unlovable. And so Ruth had humility, understanding that she was receiving love, even though she considered herself unlovable. The last characteristic of Ruth that I want to point out, and I'll point this out for Boaz as well, and it's really going to be the main takeaway for the message. It's a Hebrew word called hesed, kesed, H-E-S-E-D is how you spell it, kesed. And this is, this is what Ruth is doing for Naomi. It's a, it's a love, it's a, it's a special covenantal love, this word means. It's a loving kindness. It's a, it's a mercy being shown because of a covenant that has been made between two people. And Ruth is doing this for her mother-in-law. She promised to never leave her. She promised to be with her until the very end. And she is absolutely fulfilling that promise. She is showing Naomi chesed, chesed love, which is one of the most important words to know in the Old Testament. One of the most important words to know in the Old Testament. And we'll talk about that more as we move on. But let's look at Boaz's characteristics really, really quickly. In verse four, we see that Boaz loves the Lord. There's a reason that when he goes up to his workers, he blesses them. He doesn't say, hey, how hard did you work today? Hey, when'd you punch the clock? Did you get here on time? 
You know, are you doing your job? Hey, what's with all these people in the field? Why are they here? Why aren't, why aren't you pushing them off? No, he, he comes to them in a loving way and he says, the Lord, the Lord bless you. And, and what the writer of Ruth is doing for us is, is showing us that Boaz's life is completely saturated with God. And we see that as we learn more about Boaz in the coming chapters. I mean, just com- completely saturated with the Lord, which is in direct contrast to his relative, Elimelech. Direct contrast to Elimelech, who did not want to do the things of the Lord, who actually ran away from the things of the Lord. But yet here we have Boaz, a man who enters the scene, who fears the Lord and loves the Lord. We also see in verse 8, verse 15, verse 16. You can look at those verses if you would like. We see that he was a very moral person. He was a very moral person. How do we know this? Well, number one, he followed the law. I told you about the gleaning law. He followed that. He allowed that to happen. He allowed that to take place. And so he followed the law that the Lord had established, but he even went above and beyond in this situation by telling his workers, hey, let, let food fall out for her. Come and sit at my table and eat with me. Right? We see a situation with Boaz where he is very moral, a very moral person, which again points to his relationship with God. He doesn't have a relationship with God because he's moral, but he's moral because of his relationship with God. That's what we see happening here. That's what we see taking place. Another important part of this story, I believe, is in verse one, where it says Boaz is of great wealth. He was a rich man. He was a very rich man. And I think this is important because of what we see in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23 through 26. In, that, in Matthew, it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What we see happening in the life of Boaz is we see the impossible taking place because God is in the midst of it. We have a rich, wealthy man who loves the Lord, who serves the Lord, and who honors the Lord throughout his life. Boaz is a living example of the impossible taking place. Then the last characteristic I want to point out of Boaz is, again, that word hesed for Ruth and for Naomi. Boaz is loving his family in a way that is special. He's loving Naomi and he's also loving Ruth with a steadfastness that wasn't reciprocated. There's absolutely nothing here that Naomi can do for Boaz. There's nothing here that Ruth can do for Boaz. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of, of helping somebody out in need. I, you know, I've had that privilege many times, being able to take food to somebody's house or something like that. And so often they want to repay you. So often they want to repay you. And for me, I, I hate that situation because I, I'm thinking there's nothing that you can give me. I'm trying to give you stuff. I'm not the one in need here, but they have this desire to try to give back. This is this situation here with Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi. There's nothing that Ruth and Naomi can, can give back to Boaz that he couldn't buy, that he couldn't go get. 
There's no needs that they're going to meet in his life, but yet he loves them with hesed, a hesed sort of love, a covenantal love of mercy, of kindness. And Naomi even says this in verse 20. Look at verse 20 of chapter two. It says, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness. That word for kindness, hesed. Has not forsaken his hesed to the living and to the dead. Pointing forward to the fact that Boaz is going to be a kinsman redeemer, which we will look at next week. So when we look at this passage, do we just find characteristics that we should try to implement? Is that what the point of this passage is? It's just some little tidbits here and there of, well, I need to be a harder worker. I need to be more moral. I need to love God more, maybe. No, I don't think that's it. I think as we look at, at this chapter together, what we see is we see the importance of this word hesed. So I want to dive into that to kind of close us this morning. The first way that we see hesed is God with his children. God with his children. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9, the Bible tells us this. Now, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I believe we sang a song this morning that mentioned that. You have shown your love and kindness to a thousand generations. Do you know what you are singing there? You have shown us hesed. That's what it is. You have shown us hesed. And God has promised that to those who love him, to those who are a part of his covenant, he will show hesed. And so God promises this with Israel through the covenants. We see this with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and, and following from there. God promises to be with Abraham, to be with his descendants all throughout history, he says. I will be your God. I, I will be with you. I will show mercy on you. And then to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter nine and speaking to Moses, God says the exact same thing to Moses when giving the law. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will not fail my covenantal love to them. Again, that promise being made. In Isaiah chapter 16, verse four through five, we see this promise with David in the Davidic covenant. It says, let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. Notice this. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love in Hesed. And on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. God has promised to his children hesed, this steadfast love. It's a promise of him. It is a characteristic of him. I have so many more verses that I could read uh, to show this. God, in Exodus chapter 34, verse six through seven, this is how he describes himself as hesed. In Isaiah 54, verse 10, right? For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who shows compassion on you. Again, God's chesed love on his people. 
If you look in Psalm 136, if you think I'm being repetitive, you should read Psalm 136. In in Psalm 136, let me just read a little bit of it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. His hesed endures forever. That's that word. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods for his hesed endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his hesed endures forever. And he forever goes on to say this for 26 verses. Why? Because the fact that God is a God who has a covenant love for his people and it is a covenant that he has promised and it is a covenant that he will keep forever is an important characteristic of our God. And if you're a Christian here today, you know exactly why that is such an important characteristic. It's because you probably, I am guessing, do not keep your end of the bargain. When you come into a covenant relationship with the Lord through the blood of Jesus Christ and you say, my life is yours, very soon after that, what happens? We say, well, God, but this part of my life is mine. God, I know you want me to do that, but no. God, I know I should put money in here, but not going to happen. I know I should take care of my neighbor here, but I'm too busy. You see, we fail so often on our end of the spectrum when it comes to this covenantal love relationship between God and his chosen people, but yet we serve a Lord who never fails us. We serve a God who never fails us and who promises to never let us go, and that is because of the blood of Jesus. We become a part of God's family through the blood of Christ, through the forgiveness of our sins, through repentance, through faith, as God draws us into his family as we become part of the family of God, we now have on us hesed love from the Lord that will never leave, that will never be forsaken, that will never be turned. The Lord loves you if you're a child of his. Even though we fail, he continues to pour out his love on us. I would guess in this room there's many of testimony to speak to the truth of this. If I would say, think in your life of the times when you failed, but yet God does not fail. We have many, many times. And what a loving God we have to do that. And so now that that is a characteristic of our God and it's a love that he has bestowed upon us, we are called in scripture to have this sort of love for one another as the body of Christ. And so if you're here today and you're part of the body of Christ, if you've been saved by the grace of God, We as a group of people are called to love each other in this way. Covenantally, regardless of reciprocation, regardless if you're going to do it back to me, I should be loving you in this way. I should not expect it back. I don't need to expect it back. You might do that, but if you don't, it doesn't matter. I should still love you steadfastly. I should be willing to show mercy. I need to be willing to show kindness because that's what we're called to as Christians. In Hosea chapter six, verse six, when talking about worship, this is what, this is what the Lord says. He says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. That word, steadfast love, hesed. The Lord says, I desire hesed, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God's saying, I want my people, the way that they can worship me is to love each other, to love each other how I have loved them, 
God's saying, I don't need your money. I don't, I don't need your offerings. I don't, I don't, you think I need that stuff, God? I don't need that stuff. What I need is I need you to reciprocate the love I've given you to those around you who are a part of our kingdom, who are a part of our family. If you think that's only an Old Testament thing, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. I really don't know how to uh, exegete that passage any clearer than to say, if you do not love your fellow Christian, the Bible is very clear, you don't love him. You do not love the Lord. You do not love God. It's impossible. It's impossible to do that. Because when you've been saved by God's grace, when you've experienced that Hesed love, the only response is to return it to others. How dare I condemn somebody when I myself should be condemned? Right? How dare I condemn somebody who God has already set free by the loving grace of God? Yes, I can look at the outside world and I can say they are running to hell as fast as they can. I can do that with them. But inside here, inside the church, being with people who've been saved by God's grace, it is impossible for me to look at them and condemn them when God has not condemned them any longer. But yet so often we do that. So often that, that is what we do. In our marriages, we take vows in our marriages to love one another. And it's a hesed love that we vow together. It is, I am going to love you, my wife, regardless if you love me back. That's what I'm choosing this day. I'm going to love you even if you do not love me back. When I try to do everything for you, but yet you do nothing for me, doesn't matter. I'm still going to love you. I'm not going to hold it over your head. I'm not going to lord it over you. I am going to love you how God has loved me. I'm going to reciprocate that to you. I'm going to love you with hesed. And we struggle in that, don't we? Don't we, husband and wives? We struggle in that. But yet God calls us to extend that love even beyond to the rest of the body. We see examples of this in scripture with the story of David and Jonathan who had a very special bond. And David and Jonathan promised each other a hesed loving relationship. So much so that after King Saul died and Jonathan died, and David now is king. David would yell out through the land. He would call out through the land looking for somebody who was related to King Saul and to Jonathan. And he would ask, is there anybody in the land who is related? Now, this was normal for a king because what they would do when they found out that somebody was related is they would kill him so that there would be nobody trying to get the throne. But what happens? They find one. They find Mephibosheth. Crippled, lame Mephibosheth, who can't even walk on his own, absolutely useless to the world, gets brought to David. And, and David, instead of throwing him out, David, instead of, of killing him, because of his hesed relationship with Jonathan, you know what he does? He takes Mephibosheth and he says, you know what, from now on, you're going to eat right next to me at my table. From now on, you are my child. I am taking you in as my own. This is the loving relationship that we should be having for each other. It's not an easy love. It's not always even a rewarding love. But it's a love that we are called to 
And it's a love that when we do this, it not only pleases the Father, but I believe it brings delight to our souls as well. And it also benefits those that we love. Our prime example of this, obviously, is, is Jesus, who would forsake everything to come here to obey the Father because of the love he had for his Father, who would, who would live his life perfectly, ride into Jerusalem as a king just to be crucified by those people. And he did that, why? He did that for the love of those who would be children of God. If you're a child of God's day, if you've been saved by his grace, that's why Jesus did that. That's the example that is set forward for us. And so I think as we look at Ruth chapter two as Christians, one, it should, it should humble us. We should fall on our faces before God to say, God, why in the world me? Just like Ruth, Ruth the Boaz, why are you doing this for me? Why are you loving me like this? I don't deserve this. If anything, I deserve your wrath. I deserve your punishment. And so we should fall on our faces before God just in thankfulness saying, God, thank you for your mercy. Thankful, thank you for your kindness and your steadfast love. The other response I think that we have to have is we, we need to ask ourselves, are we loving each other in this way? This is how the world will know you are mine by the love you have for one another. I'm not shocked at the things that happen in this world. I'm not shocked that, the peop that people are not just coming to the church in droves. Why? Because within the church ourselves, we're not loving each other like we're supposed to. And so when these outsiders walk into the church, they say, they're no different than me. Because for the first 15 minutes before service, we just talked about everybody else in there. All we did was complain about this or complain about that. I do that at work. I'm good to go. God says, what will draw them is the love you have for each other. And so church, I want to encourage you, love each other. Love each other. Sometimes we do a better job at loving the world than we love our own. Jesus died for us and we should love each other in a way that shows that sacrificially, honorably, not expecting anything in return. But if you want to be honest, if you want to be really honest, if we love like the church should, you will get love back in return. I have so many times as I've tried to you know, pour my heart into somebody or love somebody, they have reciprocated that to me more so than what I was trying to do at the beginning. And you know what that is? That's the church being the church. That's us loving like Christ has loved us. If this broadcast has affected your life today, or if you have any questions about anything that you've heard, please feel free to write us at info at mmbconline.org or like and comment on our Facebook page. This has been Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. Have a blessed day.